that lovely uh, slice from Peter's letter and that temptation for me to focus on that place, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, uh, but do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, so many of us have been bludgeoned with the hope that people have, and uh, Peter qualified. He says, but do this with gentleness and respect uh, when you share the good news. Or Jesus' anticipated expectation to, for us to be expectant and anticipate the coming of the Spirit, not only for that age, but for this age today, not only for their lives, but for our lives today. But it's also Memorial Day weekend, and I have a compelling sense of that, that the, the, the subject today is really to be, I title this Politics Sermon. Uh, which is pretty ambiguous and nevolent. Uh, yes, I know, Gary, Gary's saying, uh-oh. Um, politics sermon, Memorial Day weekend. As I observe Congress, this passage keeps coming to mind. As I observe Congress that is representative of us, uh, this nation, this passage comes to mind. It's from Galatians, uh, written by Paul to a church that he was concerned about because of their conflict. And he said to them, If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. That passage keeps coming to mind as I think about our Congress and the relationships within our Congress today. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. I know that was written to a church, a church in conflict, but it seems so appropriate and apropos to what we are experiencing as the people of the United States of America today. So may I this morning reflect with you for a bit, an amateur, but an American like you, but an amateur on this subject, speak of politics in our government. And I would simply offer that there seems to be more polarization in our nation than there has been in a long time. It's been growing and developing for years, but it is reaching, uh, sometimes it feels like almost a stretching point that we're going to all snap and break. All within the context of an economy that is limping along, trillions of dollars of debt that worry most everybody, our government that nevertheless sees more government as part of the solution and answer, and others who only see less government and the marketplace as the answer, no new taxes. There is not only little interest in compromise, there seems to be a this-is-about-me attitude, my rights, my way, my security, all about mine. In fact, I want to show a film clip just to uh, make that point, uh, something that would be memorable perhaps to all of us uh, who have children or who are children ourselves, uh, regardless
Do you see in that story that nobody wins if they're a seagull? Nobody wins. And even behind that, this illusion of scarcity and the reality of abundance, all after one fish, when there is a sea and ocean all around them, filled with more fish for them. But all they can think about each seagull is mine. All they can think about is themselves. I'd like to identify three issues this morning and speak within their context. And the first issue is under the word entitlement. It's a popular word today, entitlement. I have this entitlement to that. I appreciate uh, Google leading me to a psychological, psychiatric definition of entitlement uh, because it can have a legitimate meaning that this is something that is guaranteed and properly given to a group or an individual. But in clinical psychology, it is uh, described as an unrealistic, exaggerated, or rigidly held sense of entitlement, which may be considered a symptom of narcissistic personality disorder. I raise the question, is it possible that we are a nation with narcissistic personality disorder? It goes on to say that seeing in those who, because of early frustrations, arrogate to themselves the right to demand lifelong reimbursement from fate. Narcissists hold unreasonable expectations of particularly favorable treatment and automatic compliance because they consider themselves special. Failure to comply is considered an attack on their superiority, and the perpetrator is considered an awkward or difficult person. Defiance of the narcissist will, the one guaranteed entitlement, defiance of their will is a narcissistic injury that can trigger narcissistic rage. Well, it reminds me a little bit of our Congress. Well, it reminds me a little bit of what I hear on the streets and what I read in the paper and what I hear on TV. And, of course, if I were to be perfectly honest, it could remind me at times a little bit of me. I hope not. God deliver me. Think of the big three entitlements that are being fought over. Social Security, Medicare, the military are big government expenditures. But you could add to that insurance benefits for retired military, which comes at a cut-rate price, I understand, compared to what most individuals pays. Or you could add to that mortgage interest deductions that those who are homeowners enjoy. Or you could add the entitlement that unions believe that they have as they deal with management. Or you could add the housing allowance that clergy have that most of us in here don't have. The military has it, and for some reason the clergy have a housing allowance. Entitlements. And we immediately go on to say that I deserve if I have it. Much of the rhetoric today that we are hearing seems to revolve around the issue of entitlement. Fix the economy, but don't touch my entitlement. Fix the economy, but don't change Social Security. Fix the economy, but don't change Medicare. Fix the economy, but don't touch my benefits. Fix the economy, but don't touch me. Second issue, if that were not enough, alongside this view of reality, um, I'm sorry, second is uh, alongside this view of my entitlements, is the exaltation as the individual as supreme. 
It has even acquired a noun and a name called individualism. My rights. The individual takes precedent always over and above anything else, regardless of what it costs the community. One of my primary issues are butter knives. Are you aware, right-handed folks, that butter knives are only made for you? They're bent only for you, and that us subjected left-handers cannot use a butter knife with our left hands unless we turn it upside down and use it incorrectly on the dull side, or we have to humble ourselves and switch it from our left hand to our right hand. There should be a law against that. I have my entitlements. There should be a law that on every table set in the land in every restaurant, there should be two butter knives, one for you right-handers and, of course, one for the poor minority, us left-handers. Because this is about me, and I want my butter knife changed now. I don't care how much it costs the government. I don't know what it costs, and it doesn't matter. Give me my left-handed butter knife. That's the way a lot of this sounds. Here's a classic written on individualism 30 years ago. Habits of the Heart by Robert Bella and other associates who were sociologists. This book has uh, become a classic because of the richness of the documentary evidence that they included in their groundbreaking work, which is, some of which is included in this book and some is not. But uh, this was out of their study of thousands of uh, ordinary Americans like you and me. And they write this in their preface of their concern about individualism. They first make reference to Alexis de Tocqueville writing in the 1830s and said that this French social philosopher offered the most comprehensive and penetrating analysis of the relationship between character and society in America that has ever been written, 1830, 19th century. In his book, de Tocqueville wrote, in his book, Democracy in America, based on acute observation and wide conversation with Americans, he describes the mores, which he on occasion called habits of the heart, from whence the title, of the American people and showed how they helped to form American character. He singled out family life, our religious traditions, both of which are under assault, by the way, and our participation in local politics as helping to cre create the kind of person who could sustain a connection to a wider political community and thus ultimately support the maintenance of free institutions. He also warned that some aspects of our character, what he was one of the first to call individualism, might eventually isolate Americans one from another and thereby undermine the conditions of freedom. The central problem of our book, Robert Bella wrote, wrote concerns the American individualism that Tocqueville described with a mixture of admiration and, ex and anxiety. He seen, it seems to us that it is individualism and not equality that has marched inexorably through our history. We are concerned, he writes, that this individualism may have grown cancerous. Writing in 1985, is it whatever it was then, it is worse now, may have grown cancerous, that it may be destroying those social, here's a big word I had to look up, those social integuments, um, 
the fabric that holds us together, if you will, that Tocqueville saw as moderating its more destructive potentialities, that there are other elements of how we existed that, that kept individualism in balance, in other words, with community life, but that it might be threatening now the survival of freedom itself. What is so compelling about this book, as I said, is it is based on uh, documentary factual evidence of how Americans think. Thousands and thousands of interviews that they made to identify, and what they saw stood out is individualism. Now, this issue is all the more contrasted this weekend when we remember the more than one million men and women who have laid down their lives in service to their nation. They place their nation even above their personal lives. And we can certainly add the additional millions of men and women through the wars who have given their legs or arms or eyes or health in one shape, form, or another as they serve in places today like Iraq or Afghanistan. It's brought even more sharply into focus as we saw this past week's newspaper of the North Carolina um, soldier who was brought home in a casket to be buried with his family in North Charleston. Entitlement, the rise of individualism at the cost of everything else, especially at the cost of communal life. And a third issue is to remember that along all of this, we need to remember that the Bible is not only addressed to individuals, how we should think and live, it is addressed to communities and even to an entire nation at times. We've heard the Democrats' view. We've heard the Republicans' view. We've heard every television commentator's view. What about a Judaic Christian view on our circumstances? And this third issue, I call an issue because we are essentially no longer a Judeo-Christian nation. We don't think that way nor often behave that way. So there's no reason to look into Scripture for guidance and for direction. At least that's unfortunately the way many think. So what is a Judeo-Christian view about our circumstances? Well, we could start with Jesus himself. When he says on one occasion, I lay down my life for the sheep. He lays down his life for the good of others, in other words. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. And he goes on to say, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. His life freely received from God his father his life freely given to God, his Father, for others. You see, brothers and sisters, this nation once had a marvelous balance which said this, yes, to the individual. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to every individual. And at the same time, an equal and powerful concept, yes, to the community. Everyone who has served in the armed forces understands community because they know that what they have signed up for may end in their death for others what community says is sometimes the good of the whole needs to take precedence 
over the good of the individual. To heck with left-handed butter knives. One can make do and get by. What's the beef and what's the complaint, O left-handers? To heck with a housing allowance for clergy if it would be for the benefit of the good to produce some sort of tax income that would be helpful to our plight today. To heck, and you fill in the blank, of what we ought to be able to lay down once we restore the balance of individualism and community and once we lay down the issue of my entitlements, mine, mine, mine. Jesus will say elsewhere, actually Jesus did not say this, but someone said this, in dying we rise. In dying we rise. We are elevated. It was evening after a long day when the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, it's getting late, send the crowds away because they probably already had a little quiet conversation over here with themselves, and they said, we got a little bit of food, just enough maybe for us, maybe not even enough for us. Let's get rid of these people before we bring it out to eat. Send these people away. Mine, 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 mine. My bread, my fish. Jesus replied, breaking through that picture, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only five loaves and two fish. Bring them here to me. He had the people sit down. He took the loaves and the fish. He looked up to heaven. He gave thanks for what the Lord had provided. He broke the bread. And he began a distribution of the bread to 5,000 people. We don't know what happened that day. I call it a dual miracle. The first miracle was the change of heart of individuals. And maybe there were more than five loaves and two fish, but they were all being hidden by some. Someone else who had another fish and another loaf, and someone else who had another loaf and another fish. And once they saw the distribution, they said, well, well, I've got some. I mean, let me help here. Here, have some of mine. That was a miracle of a change of heart. And then there was another miracle, I believe and expect, is uh, as they started giving away, it kept multiplying. There was more because God blesses generosity. God blesses generosity, and you can't outgive God. And so as it began to multiply, he put his blessing upon it as well, and it multiplied even beyond anyone's wildest imagination. And if you'd taken the sum total, there would not have been enough, I expect. But when they took the sum total, they had even some left over to fill 12 more baskets. So what needs to change in this country today? Our attitude, I would suggest. Our hearts, I would offer. Our sense of entitlement. The homeowner asks, what is good for our neighborhood? The neighborhood asks, what is good for our town? The town asks, what is good for our county? The county asks, what is good for the low country? The low country asks, what is good for the upstate? The low country and upstate ask, what is good for our entire state? The state asks, what is good for our nation? The nation asks, what is good for our world? Here, I have something to offer. Here, put this in the pot. 
This is a richer and deeper way than the way of compromise because it's voluntary and it's initiated by the one who's going to give. It is not taking from another. It is receiving from others who have said, here, have some of mine. Do you remember It's a Wonderful Life? That's that movie we see at Christmas time usually. It's one of my favorites. And uh, there's a marvelous scene in it I'd like to share with you just to uh, uh, bring this point home. Uh, this is where there's a run on the bank, uh, a crisis. And so it begins in, a, in a, uh, uh, that feeling of mine, mine, mine. Let me get all my money out of my savings account and get out of here. Let's, let's look at this. Do you see the contrast and the difference? One was about mine. She said, I need $17.50 just to get by. You keep the rest to help these other people. That's what's in the background of that picture. And who does he hug and kiss? And who does the Lord hug and kiss in that story? I'm not so naive to believe that speaking to you, this congregation here in Somerville, will make any difference anywhere. Certainly not in Congress, not in Washington, not even in Columbia, not even in the county council or the city council of Somerville or Dorchester. But I do believe it might make a change in our own hearts. We can't change the world. We can't change Congress. I can change only me. And as I pray, as I live, as I think, I ask the Lord to help me to pray and live and think as he would have me pray and live and think. Right now, I hear, hear him saying to all of us, it's not about me. What can I give up? What is best and right to lose in order for all of us to gain? My invitation to you this morning as we all wrestle with our way forward is not to bite and devour one another as citizens of this great nation. Not merely to haggle and haggle, to compromise, trying to win the most and give up the least, but that our way forward is the mysterious way of the Judeo-Christian wisdom that comes out of Scripture and from the lips of Jesus here. I will offer this from mine for the sake of others. I wonder if we can become a people, a nation that once again thinks at times, a lot of the time, first and foremost about others, lives for others, not only for ourselves. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, writing during the wars, speaking of Americans, said this, there is a mysterious cycle in human events. To some generations, much is given. That's certainly been my story. I don't know why I didn't deserve it, no entitlement, but my generation, my life lived here in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and into the 21st century has been a generation of abundance. To some generations, much is given. Thank you, Lord. Of other generations, Roosevelt wrote, much is expected. 
That was that greatest generation that lived before my generation. And it may be the generation that lives ahead of us, that we are a part of too. And Roosevelt said of that generation of which much was expected as he spoke of these wars that they were involved in, this generation has a rendezvous with destiny. We sang a song at the beginning of this service, Lord, you have my heart, and I will seek for yours. Let me be to you a sacrifice. It's not about me. It's about us. It's not about us. It's about them. And Jesus said, I lay down my life for the sheep. What a God. What a Savior. And may we be his like-minded people. Amen.